Hi, I'm Stephen. And hi, I'm Charlotte. And welcome to Mirth and Magic, the RPG podcast. Welcome back, guys. Hi guys and welcome to episode 8 of Mirth and Magic. Hello everyone. So uh, we're back after our short Christmas break. I hope you all had a great Christmas and a happy new year. Did you get any RPG themed gifts Charlotte or anything of that nature? I did get an RPG game for Christmas. So I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right but Kina Bridge of Spirits. Oh yeah Um, you told me you got that. Yeah I've seen it advertised. Yeah, I completely forgot to tell you. I got given it for Christmas. I haven't started playing it yet because, as I'll tell you in a second, I've been playing another super cool RPG over Christmas. But that is on my list of things to play in the new year. I don't want to know. I know which RPG this is. I think you should keep it to yourself. I'm going to share the information. (laughs) Oh, uh, and you've got those Nia books too, right? Oh, the Nia books are so beautiful. Yes. They're huge, though. Like They're kind of twice as big as any other gaming book I have and really thick and heavy. What, even so bigger than part, the JRPG book? They're not, it's not as thick as that, but size-wise, it's bigger than that. But oh, yeah, it's wow. not really as thick as that one, but they're heavy. They've got really thick hardbacks to them. So my plan at some point is to put up a nice shelf of all my gaming books, but it's going to be a heavy shelf. What books do you have? What other books? So I've got the two near ones. I've got that lovely Japanese RPG book that we both have. Mm-hmm. And then I've got hardback ones on Final Fantasy 7, 8 and 9 as well, which are also really beautiful. Oh, cool. Did I buy you the 7 one? I think I did, didn't I? I think I think you did, yeah. And then yeah. I think, and then my boyfriend got me um, 8 and 9. Mm-hmm. Nice. Cool. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I for, for gaming books, I only have the JRPG one. And I've got a Final Fantasy 14 artwork book, which is really nice. But I really only bought it because it came with a free gift for the game. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> Uh, I, don't, I think that's all I've got really, but I've also got a couple of old SNES games that I use as decorations on the book on the gaming shelf. Oh, nice! Um, like the boxes of Final Fantasy V, and I've got Breath of Fire one and two. So yeah, I might get some more of those actually. Yeah, they're kind of cute. RPG wise, for Christmas, um, I I didn't play. Well, that's not true. I did start a game and didn't touch it after one day. Um, that was <laughs> Tales of Arise, but I promise you, I will play it. I was just in a, a drunken mood when I did it, and I was very sleepy. Um, <laughs> uh, instead, I was playing uh, Return of the Opera Din, which I fucking loved, um, and lots of Planet Zoo, and also a game that my husband bought called uh, Oxenfree. Have you have you heard of that one? No, I've not heard of that. Oh, it's it's really good. It's like a, a point and click horror story on an abandoned island. Um, it's only seventy p on PlayStation, and it's really good. Oh, I like little horror games, actually. I might look into that. Yeah, I do, do. Yeah, there was a big Steam sale, and I bought a bunch of games and didn't even play half of them. Like, um, I bought this game called Timberborn, which I've been looking at for a long time. And it's like a management game where you play as, like, beavers after the humans have gone, and you build your own beaver cities out of wood. That sounds so cute. I mean, not for <laughs> human destruction, but obviously that bit doesn't sound cute. But <laughs> I haven't played yet. I keep meaning to, but I've got obsessed with Obradin. We should do an episode on that one time. That'd be really good. I think you'd really, really love it. So shall we get started? Um, excuse me, Steve. You haven't asked me what it was I was playing over Christmas. You seem to have skimmed over that. Oh, 
I thought we'd done with your bit. What you said to me was, no, I don't want to know. <laughs> no, I don't want to know verbally because I already know mentally. <laughs> it was Final Fantasy VIII and it was great, okay? <sighs> Listeners, this must be the 25th time she's played through this game. I think 25 might actually be too low a number, potentially. <laughs> How far are you through it now then? Oh, I finished it now. Oh, you finished it from start to finish? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that is... How many hours does it take when you know what you're doing like you do? Um, oh, that's a good question, actually. 26, maybe? Is that if it? You it... Every, if you do everything, yeah. Really? I remember when... Uh, I mean, I haven't played it for years and years. I, I think I played it two or three times, and it must have taken me like 45, 50 hours. I might be remembering it wrong, but I think it's about that. Well, that's you. <laughs> that is me. <laughs> <laughs> you played Final Fantasy VIII again. Do you have any plans to play any uh, any RPGs in the near future? So I'm going to play Kina um, at some point over the next couple of months. And I'm finally going to play Yakuza so that you don't punch me. I'm finally going to do it. And okay. weirdly, over the last few days, I've been playing Final Fantasy XV out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, are you? Um, how far are you with that now? I'm on chapter six, I think. But currently, what I was playing this morning was like a Final Fantasy fourteen crossover mission on it. Oh, yeah. I remember that. There's a woman in that town on the cliff, isn't there? That cliff town. Uh, possibly. I can't remember. But there was a very big chocobo, and that made me very happy. Yeah. The, the, there was a thing on Final Fantasy fourteen a while ago where you could get Noctis' car for the game. You can have your own mount and drive it around. I wasn't playing when that was like active, so I never got one. But I think it came back last year for people who didn't get it. But I, I wasn't playing at the time. However, as you know, I've now logged back on it. Although I'm not really enjoying it, I'm not playing it very much. Yeah, it's because you still love it so much. I know, but it's just a big time sink. Like I've bought a month subscription, and I think when it runs out, I'm not going to renew it again. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, shall we make a start? Yeah, let's do it. So today we're going to be playing Near Automata, and I've been watching talk about this since we started this podcast because it is one of my favourite games. So Near came out in 2017 on PS4, Xbox, and PC, and it's technically a sequel to the original Near that I think came out about seven years before that. But I wouldn't really say that you need to have played the original Near for this one to make sense. There are links, but they're not they're not huge. I played this about two years ago and I wasn't expecting to like it at all but ended up loving it and I think you've only played it very recently haven't you yeah I played it in uh, autumn just gone yeah I'd been putting it off for a long time I was put off by this game as well when you see the box cover and you just you read a little bit about it 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 doesn't represent the game very well at all you expect this very kind of hack and slash very shallow game I would say and it's it's not that at all Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was even an RPG before I started playing. I thought it was like a proper action game, and I think it leans more towards action than RPG, in my opinion, but it's definitely an RPG. Yeah, it's strange. The way that the story plays out and the way you level up and you you know, you know use items, I'd say it's very RPG, but then the actual fighting mode itself is very action-y. I'm not a big fan of really action-y hack-and-slash games, but I really enjoyed the combat in this. Mm-hmm. And I know we'll go into it more in our combat section, but I agree it's action slash RPG, I would say. But like you say, it definitely does fit into the RPG category. Yeah, definitely. 
So if we go into briefly the plot, I would say first of Nier, I'll try to sum it up as best I can. And obviously this is going to be full (laughs) of spoilers. (laughs) <laughs> yes, massive spoiler warning if you haven't played this because um, I think you need to go into this game blind. If you know anything about it other than the very basics, it'll spoil it completely for you. Yeah, this is very much one of those games where finding out what's going on through the gameplay and through interactions is what makes this game good. And just finding it out before you start would absolutely wreck it for you. Definitely, yeah. So the base story is your two androids who work for an organisation called Yorha. And basically, their job is to fight machine life forms that have destroyed most of humanity and the remaining humans are meant to be living up on the moon, waiting for a chance to return. And you play through this game a number of times, but the first two is it's very much this storyline. It's it's fighting machines, trying to you know get rid of them. And through that gameplay, you start to realise that there's actually deeper things going on. Eventually, by the end of the game, you realise that humanity is actually destroyed they don't exist on the moon and that your heart only really exists to give androids kind of a purpose to exist and i didn't realize this when i first played automata because i hadn't played the original near but the thing that destroyed humanity in the first place is the events that the main characters do in the first original near i don't know if you were kind of aware of that or not uh, i wasn't actually no yeah, so basically in the original Nier, I won't go too much into the plot of that because, again, it would be kind of spoiling what happens in in that game, which I don't want to do. But through the actions that take place throughout that game, it leads directly into what's put humanity in this situation at the beginning of Automata. Right, okay, okay. Yeah, it's one of those things where they released a remake of the original Nier, which is why I don't want to ruin it because it's, it's still a very current game now because of that reason. So I think it's probably worth playing that game rather than just reading about it. So have you played this original game? I didn't know you actually played it. No, so I didn't play the original game. I do have the remake that I haven't had a chance to get around to playing yet. I don't know why, because I've had it for about a year now, and I just keep finding other reasons to not play it, but it looks great. The reasons are Final Fantasy VIII. I'll just put it out there. That's the reason you're not playing it. <laughs> it, is. it goes Final Fantasy VIII, Video <laughs> of Work, Final Fantasy VIII, Final Fantasy VIII. Oh, no, a whole year's gone by. That's literally what happened. <laughs> Yeah, I was confused about which game was which. I almost bought the remake uh, for this podcast. I had to confirm that it was uh, actually uh, Automata that I was buying because the new one kept coming up first every time. And I thought it was a remake of Automata. And I was like, that seems like a short amount of time to make a remake, but I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, the story is um, one of the most philosophical and in-depth and emotional I've ever experienced in RPG. Yeah, and that's why the initial impressions you get of this game by the looks of it is so surprising because you expect it to be very superficial. And like you say, it's so philosophical. I'd say the kind of discussion points about philosophy and morals is more a point of this game than the actual storyline, which I think is very rare in games. Yeah, definitely. The number of machine life forms that are named after famous philosophers as well, like they're really drilling at home. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And the story does have a lot of philosophical elements and also like ethical conundrums and that kind of thing. And it's a very well thought out and intelligent story. It is that like you can tell that people have put in real energy and real thought into this game. This isn't something that's been thrown together, you know, from a brief storyboard. This has been thought out. Yeah, but it also doesn't feel like overly complicated and pretentious either. Like it, it's just perfect. The story is so in-depth and so emotional and it, it feels like a very, I mean, ironically, a very human story. 
in a world of machines and androids, and it doesn't feel too overdone or anything. Because I think sometimes when games have massive, giant, weaving plots, I, I just get lost, and I never felt lost in, with this really. I agree, and it was never too on the nose about things that it was trying to describe. Like the main characters never have this big breakdown moment where they go, "Oh no, I can't believe we've been doing this to the machines." You know, I feel so bad. How could we do this? That never happens. Mm. You never have that big build up to something happening. It's just you as an observer watching what's happening and just noticing everything. It doesn't try to drill home messages. It just lets you observe them. Yeah, yeah, it does. But no, it, yeah, is, it... A, it is an amazingly crafted story. And I know that it requires you to play through it in a, a number of times. And the second playthrough especially, I think, can get a little bit grueling at times because it, it can get a bit repetitive. But when I look back at it, it does make the storytelling feel very real and in-depth seeing things from different perspectives and even though it's a little bit tiresome to play at times it makes me look back at it really fondly because I enjoyed finding out the story in that manner. Yeah so um, I I was less keen on the repetition part of that I mean when you get to the third part the story is completely different but having to play through essentially what is the same game twice was a bit a bit of a grind to me although it does go by a lot faster because you know exactly what you're doing um, and th there are newer things in the second story playthrough from a character 9s's point of view and his new hacking ability which i know you're a massive fan of oh god the bloody hacking i can do the really simple ones and then it gets really complex and i just, I just keep dying over and over and over again yeah and it makes me resent 9s i have to remind myself that it's not the character's fault <laughs> uh so you said about the first game are there any connections to the first game in this in this one or is it totally standalone apart from the whole apocalypse thing so other than the story carrying over, there are a number of characters who are originally the original game, in a, in a way, who are also in this one. So, you know, Emil, the strange kind of skull head that you meet that becomes a shop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's one of the main characters in the first game. And there's a whole side quest you can do involving him, him trying to remember kind of his past and what happened. Mm -hmm. And then there's the two kind of pinky red haired androids called Popola and Devola if you remember them being at the camp and then they play quite a large part of you getting yep. into the town at the end. Yep. So their Android models are based on Androids that existed in the original game and kind of accidentally helped orchestrate all these terrible things happening. And that's why they keep saying that all the other Androids, they've been kind of programmed to resent them and give them terrible tasks. And it's because there's all these feelings of um, guilt and hatred towards them because of what originally happened. Right, so everyone knows that they what they did then. I don't think they. I don't think they know. I don't think anyone remembers exactly what it is they did, but they've been kind of programmed to be cold towards them and resentful of them. Right, I think is how the game describes it. Yeah, I remember Emil quite well because you have to meet him as part of the storyline, don't you? You in the shopping center, you have to chase after him, and he blasts through the door and opens it so you can get into the forest. Yeah. But and then later on, he's running around and he's he's driving around like a madman in the city. And mm -hmm. there was um there was a part when I was solving this quite heavy emotional quest, and in the background, Emil just whizzed by in the like emotional scene, like. <laughs> so yeah, he he ruined the film. I, I I don't think it was meant to do that. I think it was just the game in the background. But yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah, he doesn't really have that much to do in this game, but like I said, he's one of the main characters in the original mm -hmm. one. And if you do his side quest through to the end, it is quite emotional. Right. 
So if we go into the characters themselves, there aren't really that many to note in this game. There's a lot of kind of little side characters that you don't actually speak to that much. But if we go into the main ones, I'd say 2B is the one that I think everyone thinks of as the main character, even mm-hmm. though she's not in the entire thing. And she's the one on all the cover art. She's the one who's kind of been involved most in the kind of Final Fantasy fourteen crossovers. You know, she's mm-hmm. the recognisable character. And at the start of the game, she's she's very cold. She's very standoffish. She kind of really fights back against 9S trying to be friendly with her. And she comes across at first as very much a kind of soldier there to do her job. Yeah, I found her quite unlikable, actually, to begin with. I warmed to her later on, but it always seemed to me like whenever Nines was trying to like be friendly, she was like all business and not having any of it. And it put me off her a little bit. I don't like people like that. But as time went on, she did soften up a lot. Yeah, and it's a little bit strange because when I first played that and the only people you meet at first are 2B and 9S and she keeps saying things like, you know, emotions aren't allowed and all this sort of thing. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe that's a thing. But then you go back to the bunker and they do have emotions and they have relationships and it's a bit like, oh, is this just a, this isn't an Android thing. This is just a 2B thing. Like this isn't something you think, it's just her. Your operator is very uh, lively and has a love life and makes jokes and uh, 2B is like a polar opposite. Exactly. The poor operator calling 2B after her breakup to just crying. It was 2B's like, she just shut up. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, so I, I did I did like 2B as the game went on. I got to like her more, but at the beginning I was like, wow, this, person, this person's Android, I guess, is horrible. I'm not sure. Do we know that Android's at the start? I can't remember. I think so, yeah. And I think on right. the kind of box and everything, it says that they're Android. So I think you are right. expected to know. And uh, 9S was like her polar opposite. He was um, friendly and chatty and a, a bit goofy. And I liked him more, even though I don't normally like preppy sort of happy character. But I mean, there's only two, well, three main characters in the game anyway. So, but I think I liked him more. And he became more serious as time went on. And 2B became um, more open, I think. Yeah, there's definitely portions in the game later on where she's a bit more kind of chatty with him and a bit more mocking. And there's mm-hmm. there's certain scenes where you can see her accidentally being more friendly to him and having to kind of hold herself back. Like, well, like calling scene, nines. Yeah, exactly. Like she goes to say nines <laughs> and then has to quickly catch herself and go nines, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of those things where when you replay the game again, once you know what 2B is and what, what her actual relationship is with 9S, it it makes a lot more sense and it makes all those scenes mean a lot more because, again, massive spoilers, but 2B's designation isn't 2B. She's actually 2E. She's an executioner. Mm-hmm. And in the past, her main job has been to repeatedly murder 9S whenever he finds out too much information about what Yorha actually is. So she has killed 9S endless times in the past. So whenever she becomes close and friendly with him, she ends up murdering him. And then she's reallocated to once again have to work with him. And then you see that she's actually holding herself back because she doesn't want to be close to this person she's going to inevitably kill because it just hurts her more. So Mm -hmm. I think once you go back and play those early scenes, knowing all of that, it it makes it make a lot more sense and it makes it feel so deep. And again, the game never highlights things. It doesn't have her having flashbacks and, you know, trying to really force it. It just lets you, it just lets it sink in for the player. It never tries to really rub that message in. It just lets you horrifically realise that that's what's going on. Is she aware of this fact? She is, yeah. yeah. Right, so she, that's why, okay, so she, she knew from the start that that's why she's not getting close to him. Yeah, so whenever she kills 9S, his memories reset and he goes back to being all happy and having no idea that yeah. 
that's what's going on. But she doesn't. She keeps her memories. She remembers murdering him endless times. She's fully aware of doing it. And is it all Nynesses or is it just that mo- that particular Nynesse model? It's just that particular 9S model. <laughs> Why don't they just decommission him then? If, if he, It seems like a lot of work. I think, I don't think it's ever specifically said, but I've, I've read up on it online that people seem to think that all scanner models are designated some form of executioner. Because 9S repeatedly says like scanner models, they're very curious, they always want to investigate. So I've heard online yeah. that apparently they think that all scanner models have an executioner designated to them in case they find out too much information about right. what your car is. But I don't think it ever explicitly shows that. As far as so I'm they're aware. always like destined to die then, again and again and again and again. Sort of. I don't know if 9S is particularly more prone to doing it. I don't think the game ever really says. You don't really ever meet any other scanner models or, mm-hmm. or you meet, I think, one or two, but, but you know, you don't come across them all the time. Yeah. Moving on from that to talk about 9S, he's, he's an interesting character. I think looks-wise, I've always thought he looks younger than 2B does. I always felt like he looks more like a boy than an adult man. I don't know what you th- your thoughts are on that. He does. He looks like a child. Um, I think it's the the hair and the um, shorts. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's basically like a Victorian child. Exactly. And I know that they're androids where they don't have designated ages, but the way he acts, his little, his little schoolboy shorts and his bold haircut, <laughs> I always pictured him more as being kind of like a, 14-year-old boy with this kind of 20-year-old woman sort of thing. And it and it throws me because I don't know what your opinions are on the kind of the relationship between 2B and 9S. I would say it's very ambiguous whether or not their bond is one of friendship, kind of brother-sister or romantic feelings. And I think the game remains ambiguous on purpose. So it's never overly clear. But whenever I think of them as in like a romantic thing, I just think, oh, but he looks so young. Like it's just, ooh, it doesn't seem right to me. No, I never saw them as romantic. I, I never, I never picked on that. I know people online think that, but I don't. I never picked up on that. I um, I thought they were just partners. I'm like very, very close. Even though, if if uh, 2B knew all along that she's meant to kill him, then it's kind of a strange relationship. Yeah, it's clear that they're meant to have a close relationship and that they are meant to care about each other. Like. When um, 2B strangles 9S at the end of the first playthrough and she's crying on him and she says, what does she says? Um, It always has to be this way or why is it always like this? Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. Talking about the fact she always has to kill him. It's clear that she is devastated and does care about him. But I agree. I think their relationship is, it, it's unclear. I prefer to think of them as kind of very close friends slash almost brotherly, sisterly affection rather than the romantic. But Mm-hmm. there's one scene and it's relatively near the end of the game and I think it's in the second playthrough where I think it's Adam's talking to 9S and he says it comes up on the screen as you're thinking about how much you want to star 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 to be aren't you and so there's a four-letter oh, yeah. word and it's it's debated whether that is basically kill or fuck is what people seem to assume that word is mm-hmm. which obviously means very different things depending either kill to be because deep down inside he vaguely remembers that she murders him constantly or that actually he does have sexual feelings towards her it's yeah i think it's i think i quite like the fact that they never explicitly say what it is i think it's quite nice that it's just left up to interpretation i actually read online somewhere maybe that that message is for the player not for for him oh that's interesting yeah i don't mm. know if, what you think of that i quite like that idea yeah that's almost like 
aiming it then at a kind of a person who is attracted to female characters. Well, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's, I don't know, but I do like the idea of it being a little bit more meta because I can see that kind of thing being in this game. Mm -hmm. But I mean, 9S goes for a lot of character development. I mean, through the first and second playthrough, he's very happy-go-lucky, you know, wears his feelings on his sleeve, always very optimistic. The third playthrough, he goes completely insane. Like, <laughs> yes. mental by the end of that playthrough. Obviously, a totally different person, isn't he? Oh, completely. Like, by the end of that game, he fights a load of 2B models. And at the end of it, she cuts off his arm or he loses it in an explosion. And then... He kind of strokes one of the dead Tubi's faces, then just rips her arm off and attaches it to himself. So at the last bit of the game, he's just wandering around with Tubi's dead female arm attached to him. And he doesn't even blink an eyelid. He's not even phased by it. He, yeah, he just goes mad. I mean, I guess he needs an arm, right? And she's not needing it anymore. She's She's gone. It's true. But if you compare <laughs> that to the 9S at the beginning, like he never would have done that. Like it's mm. just, yeah. That's a point later on, right, when um, he gets attacked by A2 and she rips off that arm. Yeah, because he basically, I think the logic virus is in that arm, so it yeah. affects him. So yeah. she hacks inside it to, to get rid of it, to, get, to cure him of the virus, essentially. Yeah, because, I mean, A2, I feel, is one of the sections of this game, but I wish it had been developed a bit more, because she takes on 2B's memories when she takes her sword when she kills 2B. So she kind of develops all these protective feelings of 9S, but you don't really get to see much of A2 before that happens. You only really say, see A2 after she's taken on 2B's aims, if that makes sense. Yeah, you see her, I think, once in the first or second playthrough when you're in the castle, I think. I think it's the yeah, castle when you fight her. Yeah, because she jumps in and she stabs the king, doesn't she? The baby king. Oh, yeah, king. the baby king, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I found that really sad. Yeah. Um, and then you fight her, then it's kind of a mystery who she is at that point, because, I mean, you hear from the commander that she's, like, wanted by Yoha, she's, like, a fugitive, but that's pretty much all you hear about her for the entire playthrough. Yeah, it's true, and I think A2 is the first hint that you get in the game that things aren't quite right, because I think the only thing she says yeah. to you is commander's lying to you, or something like that, and then she leaves. So she's the first hint that Yoha is hiding things from the androids. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The interesting thing about Neo Automata, there's loads and loads of media outside of the game to explain a lot of what's happened. There's a whole stage play about what happens to A2 before this game. And I think it's, I'm fairly sure it's in Japanese and I've not seen it, but the amount of media that helps explain it all, it's there is a lot. Is it on YouTube or anything? I'm not too sure. It might be. It might be. It's probably subtitled if it is. It probably is. I've only read like a written account of what happens in it so i've not actually right. seen it myself but it explains uh, about her, her original troop going to earth and them all dying except her right right so I, I agree i think they're the three main characters and they're the three that you play as and they all play i'd say quite similar with just a few differences 2b is very much a kind of heavy combat model 9s mm -hmm. a bit less so but with the additional hacking and a2 plays similar to 2b but she has like a berserk mode that personally I never used. I just I just used her as a melee attack. And she can and hack too in certain situations. Yeah, I, I was quite happy with her just... I was such a strong level by the time we had A2. I was happy with her just going and just stabbing everything. Mm -hmm. just... What about side characters? Which one did you like? Oh, the main one is Pascal. I think he's probably the yeah. biggest side character that you interact with and breaks my heart every time I think about his story. 
who, by the way, I didn't even know was meant to be uh, a guy um, until I looked him up. Yeah, uh, I didn't realize he's got a very female <laughs> voice, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole the whole village is so cute. I I love it. Um, it's, it's such a like a respite from the mm. game when the world's gone to shit. I must say, a lot of the, the other androids and the resistant members, they're very kind of mission focused. You, know, you go and see them, and it's very much, oh, I need you to go and collect this by killing this, and then you go and actually meet the machines, and their side quests are like, oh, my little sister's gone missing. Please, yeah. will you find it? Or oh, I need some spare parts so i can like fix my broken body and it's like oh this is nice this is actually like mm-hmm. doing helpful things and it's pleasant and then yeah. <laughs> it my soul out by the end of the game which we yes. will go into a bit later <laughs> <laughs> i also like the operators as well yeah because that's the two aren't there you've got two b's who's very emotional and upset by everything and then you've got nine s's who's the opposite and it's actually very business-like nine s has basically two b as an operator and 2B basically has 9S as an operator. Pretty much, yeah. I don't know why they don't just have each other's, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like um, 2B's operator more. You end up fighting 9S's operator, don't you, in one of the endings? You fight both, yeah. Do you? Oh, okay. I thought it was just one of them. No, when the bunker becomes infected by the logic virus, you one of the androids you fight on the bunker, when you kill her, she says, um, thank you for the flower which is a reference to like the photograph of the flower that you uh, can send to these operator, which right. suggests that you've just, you've just killed her. Right. Okay. I must've missed that. Yeah. And then you, if you're not listening to the dialogue, I think it's quite easy to miss her saying thank you for the flower. But Yeah. Because yeah. there's nothing to visually distinguish her from the other operators really. No. And I, I think partly that's meant to be the point is you're, you're mindlessly killing all these androids and it's only yeah. afterwards that you realize that you, you've killed her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also like some of the bosses too. Like the fairground boss was actually quite interesting once you got to know her backstory with 2B. Oh, Simone. Sorry, yeah. 9S, 9S, not 2B. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she's one of the ones where the repeat playthroughs are a bit more a bit beneficial because it, it you slowly build her story as the time goes by. Because initially she's just this big, scary looking machine thing that attacks mm-hmm. you and she's collected all these dead androids and you can't really figure out why. And it's only later that you realise that she's been cannibalising robots and androids in order to try to make herself beautiful to attract Jean-Paul, the philosopher who lives in Pascal's village. Yeah. And you get that, you get the text screen dialogue of her just kind of saying, please notice me, please will someone notice me, kind of, mm-hmm. I've done all this, I've murdered my friends and still no one will see me. It's, yeah, very well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her, her design is amazing as well. She looks great. It is, and it's actually, uh, from gameplay-wise, I think it's quite a fun fight as well. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I think my favourite part of that fight is all of her actions and things she does, it's timed with the music, if you notice that. (laughs) I didn't notice that, actually. No, I should look that up afterwards. Oh, yeah, have a look on YouTube. Certain events, like when she hits the floor or she puts her arms up and screams, it's timed with the music at the same time, and it's amazing to see it. Definitely have a look. I will, I will. I think other characters as well, you've got Adam and Eve, who are the kind of bad guys. I say that with kind of quotation marks, but the bad guys in the game who you're you're aiming to defeat by the end of it. And you fight Adam at first, who emerges, and then Eve sprouts from Adam, kind of from his chest region, which I suppose is meant to be the kind of Eve rib. The rib, yeah. Yeah. And they look extremely similar, but... Eve ends up cutting his hair and wears slightly different clothes and is a slightly more childlike character 
than Adam is. Mm-hmm. You get extra additional dialogue scenes in the second playthrough of them sitting at a table together, just talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And Adam yeah. wants to research humanity and understand why it is they do what they do. And Eve just wants to play and be with his brother. So they do yeah. have very different personality types to each other as well. Yeah. And I was surprised to see that actually by the end of part two, they're gone. Yeah. Like, cause they seem like such major villains. Like I thought they were the antagonists of the whole thing, but no, by when time you start part three, they're actually gone completely. Yeah. It's almost like near is split into two games. Almost. You've got the game of androids versus machines defeat Adam and Eve. And then you basically got, androids realizing what androids are essentially it's the second part of the game yeah. and they're very different and the theming's different but yeah after that first bit adam and eve don't reappear until in a way the very final ending when adam's mentioned again and even then there's a very small part when it explains what the tower actually is and what it's trying to fire at the moon mm-hmm. we'll go into the endings properly then because the final ending is a little bit unusual mm-hmm. but i thought their design was good and i think I liked the fact that it wasn't just kind of machine-looking machines that you fought the whole time. I kind of liked the fact you had slightly more human-looking enemies for at least some of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anime boy machines. <laughs> it was like, I, I really like all the machine designs, but it was nice to have a little bit of variation in that. Mm-hmm. Can we have a chat about the world itself of Nier? Yes. So um, I thought it was a beautiful world. When you first told me that it was set in just one city, I was like, oh, okay. But I don't know. I just thought that maybe you would explore the entire world. But actually, you don't really notice that you're sort of in one area. Um, it feels like every area is totally different to the last one. You've got the, yeah. like the desert. You've got like a coastal area. There's a woodland. There's the city itself. And it, everyone everywhere feels different. And I like that. Yeah. Every area you go to, they feel different to each other, but also very believable that they're in the same world. Mm-hmm. It's not like a lot of games where suddenly you're on some kind of fantasy planet and everything's completely different like it's the locations themselves are very grounded in reality of what earth looks like mm-hmm. you can actually traverse from area to area throughout the entire city so it feels real there's no kind of you can teleport between areas but you don't need to realistically you could potentially wander from one point to the far point if you wanted to like an actual area of the earth mm-hmm. yeah didn't we work out too that it was set in japan I think there's a parking ticket you can get at some point. We've told you that it was issued by uh, the council in one of the a Japanese city somewhat near Tokyo. Yeah, because you can gather little like items left over in the world from when humanity existed. And they're very few and far between, but it does help you piece together where and kind of when in the world it's meant to be. Yeah. What is your favourite area of the game? There's a few areas I really like, actually. I think the amusement park is one of them. And I think... The music is a big part of that. And that kind of scene of just when it's zoomed out of the music park and it's got that the building with the heart hole in the middle of it and all the fireworks constantly oh, going yeah. off. It, it's a kind of game environment that you don't see in a lot of games and it made it stand out quite a lot. And with that very haunting music that plays the entire time, that was one of my favourite areas. And I also really liked the woods just because it was a bit of a change. Yeah, I love the fairground too. Um, it was fantastic. And the music was really haunting, as you said. And it also accompanied by the the machines like on a parade constantly, you know, on the on the down the stairs in the middle of the amusement park. Yeah. And they were singing. <laughs> um Yeah, and they don't attack you either. Like you just wander around and they just carry on just being in an amusement park, basically. I don't know what happened, but the first time I ever got there, I didn't attack anything, I swear to God. And one of them did. 
attack me. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> the ones right at the start and right at the front before you enter the gates, you know, near the fountain. Um, I think you punched I, a robot. I must have done by accident and not realized because they all started attacking me. I wonder if I accidentally like shot one of them with the pod and then um, I killed all of them at the front. And then when I got to know the story of these fairground robots, I was like, oh no, <laughs> I feel yeah. so bad. Oh my God, I killed these lovely <laughs> pacifists. <laughs> but they all came back because it's a game. <laughs> I was going to say, I love the area and I love the fact that you can interact with some of the um, rides too. Like you have the rocket ride you have to use as like a jumping platform bit. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the roller coaster fight is one of my favorite parts of the game. I love that bit where you uh, get get on the roller coaster carts and actually like fight while you're riding the roller coaster. Yeah, and it's it's weird that you say that it's your favorite part because I really like that too because it's really inventive. But I remember seeing that clip in trailers and thinking, "What is this? Like this looks impossible <laughs> to play and it looks terrible." And then you actually do play it and you're like, "Oh, actually, this is great." It's fun. I did it three or four times actually because you can go back and do it again. The whole game is really inventive. It's Mm -hmm. every aspect of the storytelling, the music, the way that there's like three different versions of each piece of music, depending what part of the game you're at or whether you're hacking, the ways you interact with the world, the different robots of different personalities that you get in different areas. It's every bit of that game is not two dimensional. Every bit is very, very well thought out and, and deep. And like, for example, with the amusement park, when you go back later in the third playthrough, I don't know if you went back much, but all of those robots have become zombies, if you saw that. Uh, I didn't, know. Uh, so you go back and all of these little robots that were going around having a lovely time, they've all got destroyed faces and all they can do is kind of make sounds at you and some just beg you for help. And a lot of, most of them still don't attack you, but they just stand huddled in corners zombified Mm. basically and broken and it just makes and the music changes ever so slightly from its normal one to a slightly creepier one and it just makes that whole world feel completely different that's sad i didn't i wasn't aware that happened yeah it's just another thing where all these nostalgic locations depending what bit of the game you're at they just don't leave it like that they change it to so that you never get used to it that the game is always evolving as you play it um i also like you said i like the woodlands too well, yes, because it's naturey and it's a different change from the city and the factory and stuff. But also, um, I like the theme of it, you know, with the whole like knights uh, roaming around protecting the king. That was fun. Yeah, I liked that. And then you've also got the um, the animal carer who lives in the woods. I love him too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the only thing I hated about the woods was um, getting across to the other side. I could never remember where to go. <laughs> it was really confusing to me. Yeah, <laughs> with the rope bridge and the logs and stuff. like, It would show it on the map where you had to go, and I just couldn't work it out. Oh, that um, does link into one of my negatives of this game that I can't bear, and that's the map. I can't understand it. Certain things, uh, it's really easy to see. And then in things like the factory where there's different levels, and you could just see this little blinking dot, and you'll be on top of the dot. <laughs> and you can't figure out what level you're meant to be at. Oh, I couldn't bear it. It maybe drive me insane. It took me at least at least a good hour of playing a game before I finally under well finally thought I understood what how to use a map um, <laughs> because it's like a three D map and it's kind of uh, I don't know how to describe it it's like a like a low poly re- graphic map that um, like a blueprint almost and you can turn it around and I just I thought it was so difficult to understand 
Um, it took me a long time to get used to it. Yeah, really confusing. And when you go to the resistance camp, there's the option to speak to someone there for like game advice, basically. Oh, yeah. And, and you can say to her, I find the map confusing. They go, oh, do you? We thought that too. And then, that's it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> all <Yeah>. right. <laughs> Can't argue with that logic. Also, I love how um, that advice comes in actually quite late. Like uh, one of the advices they offer is like, I'm feeling motion sickness from this game. What can I do? And like by that point, you played it for like four hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's bizarre. And I think they just put it in there to screw with people playing. <laughs> The other place uh, that I also really love in this game that I know we mentioned it earlier is Pascal's Village. It's just, it's such a nice little oh, haven. Yeah. Like at one point you could do the mission where you can build the slide for the children. And from that point on, whenever you visit the village, the little children are just playing on the slide and 2B and 9S can slide down it as well. And oh, it's just <laughs> warms my heart. Yeah, it's adorable. I wasn't sure at first, by the way, where the village was actually like, if they were pretending to be good. Did you Did you get that too? I did wonder that at first when Pascal appeared, but I think once you go to the village and you do it, just speak to them, they will have their little white flags. I think I kind of quickly came around to not thinking that, but yeah, when Pascal first appeared and, oh no, it's not Pascal, is it? It's just a random robot appears with a white flag and goes, follow me. I was like, oh "Mm, yeah, sorry, yeah, through the fairground. Yeah, I was like, this feels dodgy. This isn't going to be good. (laughs) But I mean, Um, the game starts to try to lay on the fact that there's more to machines than meets the eye relatively early on. And, and 2B and 9S really shut it down. Like when you're walking through the desert and um, robots start saying things to you like, good morning, how are you? I like your clothes and things. And 2B and 9S are like, they're just making random sounds. They're not, they don't mean it. And I was like, is that random sounds? That doesn't sound like random sounds. They sound like they're speaking to you, but they just won't, they won't, they can't accept that. They won't acknowledge that that's a possibility that the things they're killing are have any kind of humanity to them yeah uh 9s actually says at one point a big spiel about like um they just know random words and they put them together and it sounds like a sentence but it's not really they don't, they don't know what they're saying yeah even though what they're saying is things like scary run away please don't yeah. hurt me it's like mm, <laughs> i think they do know what they're saying but also when they're saying goodbye to you they're coming towards you swinging their arms and attacking you so it's kind of hard to uh <laughs> know what to do with them yeah that is true but I must admit, the robots in this game are one of the bits that I like the most because... They're cute, they're, aren't they? <laughs> they're really cute. And on the surface, they're completely... They look completely blank slates, most of them. They're literally just like a little metal ball on a little body with arms and legs. And yet this game somehow gives them so much personality, mm-hmm. even though they talk in robot voices. Like, I remember I was speaking to you when you just started the second playthrough where there's the little robot trying to get oil for yeah, the bigger robot. his brother. Oh, I don't know what it is. Like, they are just completely blank robots. Like, they should have no human, like, appearance or personality to them at all. And yet that scene broke my heart for some reason, just watching that little robot desperately pouring oil to try to save his brother, who won't even be his brother. It will just be a robot he has a connection with. But, oh, I don't know how this game does it, but it, it manages it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. When you when um when I first played that and you you drop the bucket, I was like, no, no, no. Exactly. And I like <laughs> I knew that when you poured oil on that robot, it wasn't gonna fix it. And yet I was there like, please, please let it fix the robot. That to be probably killed like a few minutes before. Yeah. As for he. Sure. I was like, please, please let him be okay. <laughs> yeah, they're they're adorable. Um and what do you know anything about like the ones in the desert are like the bodies stuck on top of each other that don't attack you, like really tall. 
I don't, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of robots in this game that there's no real explanation to why they're like that and what they are. But yeah, they'll just wander around happily not attacking you. Yeah, very it, strange. It, it's almost like there's stories behind these robots and and the game is just kind of taunting you like, look at all this story we've made that we could explain to you, but we're not going to. We're just going to put <laughs> it out there just to leave some kind of ambiguity to this game. A part of me really likes that, that it's clear that there's even more depth to this world on top of what you see. And you're just left to kind of like ponder it yourself to try to figure out what's going on. Like, yeah. did you come across the gold robots later on in the game? Mm, are they? Do they appear in a crowd of normal robots? Uh, they appear alongside a few enemies. Like, they're only in, I think, three or four places in the world. And they're really, really strong. Yeah, I think I saw one and I couldn't defeat him. And I think he actually killed me. Yeah, they're, they're really powerful. But when you defeat them, they each say, like, I, I'm doing this because you killed my family. Why have you hurt my family? And then you kill the last one and he's like, you may as well kill me anyway because all the rest are dead. Like, what mm. do I have to live for now? And again, like, you get the feeling there's story behind those gold robots and their family unit. But you never get to see it. You just get to ponder what they yeah. probably were and what you've just killed. Yeah, it, oh God, it is such a well-thought-out and well-planned and well-executed game, isn't it? It is. Before I played this game, the thing that made me want to play it, and I really wish I could remember the exact name of the title of the video or who made it, because I feel like I should kind of credit them for it, but there's a video on YouTube that says something like, Near Automata is the game most about humanity that includes no humans, and I think that's true. <laughs> the whole game is about kind of feelings and figuring out who you are and what you are and how you feel about others and how you feel about existence. And yet there's no humans in it at all. You know, before I started playing, I remember asking you if there were any humans in it and you kind of gave me a a blank answer for obvious reasons. I know now why. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I'm playing a game with no humans in it. Like, I just couldn't, I don't think I could quite believe that I could play a game with uh, robots androids in it and uh not sort of feel anything i thought it was very 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 emotional and very strong storytelling even though there were no humans in it i don't want to sum up on that i've, I've no idea but hmm. yeah i know what you mean because i think me and you both we play rpgs a lot for the characters if that makes yeah. sense more so than just like a mindless story so i agree when you hear there's no humans you think oh god i don't want to play a game that has no emotion to it that has no story but this game does have it just yeah without any people yeah yeah oh it has it in abundance oh definitely there's so many bits of this game that you could talk about of how it adds to that feeling but you'd be talking for hours because pretty much every side quest and every interaction adds a little bit more to that yeah. feeling of making you wonder about all these philosophical elements and like i said you could speak about it for hours to cover every single bit but it's yeah amazingly well done Mm-hmm. For sure. Should we move on to some themes of the game? Because I think there's some very strong ones in this that we've kind of hinted at already. Uh yeah. Yep. Because I think the philosophical idea of existence and what it means to exist is one of the really strong ones of and what what counts as living. Well, I just realized what we just said really, doesn't it? Like there's so much humanity in these characters, even though they aren't human. Yeah. Like they can get killed, they can get torn apart, you get reborn. Technically, in a way, that's a new creation, just with the memories moved across. And yet, I think of these characters as as real, even mm -hmm. though they're not. Yes, they've been programmed. These personalities were made by someone. They're, they're fake personalities. But these characters seem to 
And the game hints at it is that the androids and the machines seem to have a certain capacity for evolving past what they're programmed to do. But mm-hmm. the game also suggests that, especially with the machines, there's a limit to how far that can go. So again, those knowing that there's limits to how much they can evolve, like do you still think of them as as an alternative for humanity, or are they always going to be just robots, just androids? Yeah. And it raises a bigger question, like, are androids human, I suppose? Like, yeah. can they be human? Yeah. What what counts as living? They're artificial life. But if this was real, if this was like modern day here in the real world and they existed, like, would you consider that life? Like, I think you would have yeah. to. Yeah. I mean, that that is a common sort of theme of a lot of sci-fi as well. And But it's, it's just done so well here. It is. And it's, and it's made very clear in the game that they can feel pain as well. Like, the end of the third playthrough, he stabs A2 and then he ironically falls onto 2B's sword. So A2 is laying there mm-hmm. dead and 2B is just kind of thrashing around in his own blood for like a good 10, 20 seconds, just impaled on 2B's sword, which ironically, again, means 2B has technically killed him again, even though she's not there, just for yeah. more poetic kind of justice to that ending. Like It's very clear he's in pain. He's he's suffering. It's, yeah, I, I definitely would have to say that they are living creatures in a way. 100% yeah yeah and uh, I actually thought about that I I guess it is her killing him again even though it's not direct she still manages to kill him in a way when she falls on the sword yeah exactly it, it's very poetic and yeah every element of this game has been thought through an example this doesn't really relate to theming which is something I remembered that an example of this game being really well done is at the very very beginning of this game you know you're in a you're in a group of flight units and you're flying down and 2B is the only one that survives but yep. when all of those character issues with there, they say a couple of lines and they all have names. And one of the flight pilots that's with her is an executioner unit. I can't remember what the number was, but there's an E unit flying with her. Mm-hmm. And when you first play that game, you don't think anything of it. You don't know what the letters mean. But later when I realized that to what an executioner is, I remember thinking like, why was there an executioner unit with that group of pilots? Like, why were they not all just battle ones? That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Then realized... And again, the game never tells you, it just leaves you to potentially figure it out that one of the side quests involving another pilot was that they potentially wanted to desert your her. And there's a whole thing where you can go and speak to her girlfriend and you can either tell her or choose not to tell her that she was going to desert your her. And then I realised that uh-huh. the reason that the executioner unit's probably there is to kill her if she did try to desert, because that's the yeah. whole point of executioner units. But the game doesn't knock that on the head. It's only if you kind of think about it that you realise that, oh God, that pilot was almost always destined to die because an executioner was sent with that unit to kill her if she tried it yeah okay well that brings on to another theme death is a big theme in this game as well as life death is everywhere in this game it's a cycle of life and death that is continuously happening especially with 9s and 2b 9s and 2b both die during the course of the game at various points and when you die, you just come sort of come back at the bunker as a gameplay mechanic, and um, you, you never permanently die because your memories were always stored somewhere. And I, I guess, in a way, it raises the question of like, when Two B puts herself into her sword, can you really exist without being there? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, is it still her that's there in that sword? Um, because I mean, she uploaded her her consciousness to it, but is consciousness enough to? designate an existence does that make sense yeah i get what you mean i've always kind of i've always kind of thought 
no, especially because the bunker exists, there's no possibility of her ever being put back into a being that can communicate in any mm-hmm. way. It's just kind of her memories existing in that sort. But it's a, it's a good point that I hadn't thought of. As, and, mm-hmm. it, and it's similar to how 9S is put into the big machine at the end of the first playthrough, but obviously he's then able to be put back into an android body. But like when he's put back into the big machine, I still thought of him as a person then, even though he wasn't in an android body anymore. He was just in a big machine. I still thought of him as a living creature. So that for me was a turning point in the game because um, I thought that he was going to like go wild and become all the robots and become all the machines in the world and destroy something. But that doesn't happen at all. It's just a temporary thing for him. It's true. It very easily could have gone like very classic fantasy RPG of like, now 9S is the enemy. He's a giant yeah, yeah, yeah. robot. <laughs> and instead it just goes, no, no, that's not what we're doing. Instead, there's a virus yeah. and it's horrific. That's what's actually going to happen. The virus part of the game was, um, you know, when you, in the third part, when you're fighting the infected uh, soldiers and you become infected yourself as 2B, I found that bit very challenging to play because the fights were so, so long. Like, I actually wondered at some point if I was meant to lose these fights. I wasn't. You're meant to win them. But they just kept, the soldiers were so strong and I was so weak. Maybe it was just because I hadn't upgraded properly. I don't know. But the fights went on for like 15, 20 minutes. Oh, my God. And my, my fingers were hurting so badly. Um, and when you finally defeat them, she realizes that she's infected and she sort of... Uh, she goes through bouts of like clutching her chest and staggering and then running again for a little while. And uh, as time goes on, the, the clutching and staggering becomes uh, more prominent than the running. And that's a very difficult part to play. Yeah, it is difficult. I remember those fights being hard as well. And like you say, when you first fight them, you're like, this is a big spike in difficulties. You know, why is this happening? Am I, am I meant to be killed by them? Is that part of the storyline? But I agree, the bit of 2B having to try and get across the city... When I first played that, I couldn't really figure out where it was you were meant to be getting to. Mm-hmm. It was only after a while I realised you were meant to be aiming for the shopping centre. Maybe it was just me missing something, but I, I maybe I just missed the bit where it said that's where you're meant to be going. But I was like, oh, God, like there's some kind of countdown going on. And I've got no idea where I'm going. But I found that bit of the story, it was hard getting across the city, especially when enemies still come at you. But I, I really liked that bit of the game, and I found it quite memorable of, like you say, life and death is a big theme with this game, but death never feels permanent up until that point when suddenly it starts to feel very real, where you're watching 2B's system shutting down. You you don't really know what's going to happen to it. There's no bunker for her to go back to. So the whole time you're going across watching 2B basically slowly dying, you're like, oh God, like this is it now. Like, this is this is actual death for her. And by the time you get to the end where, you know, the whole screen is glitching, there's no music anymore, there's no volume. And it's one of the first times that, that she feels like a robot rather than a person at that point. And then obviously she then gets stabbed and killed. And I just found that bit of the game kind of haunting. Yeah, because you keep seeing things on the screen like um, like error messages, right? Like in her head and the screen gets distorted. And yeah, that's the first time you sort of, you know she's an android from the beginning, but it's the first time she would sort of face that head on in a way. Yeah, it's the first time um, when you're really have to kind of face it, like this isn't a person I'm playing, this is a broken robot. Yeah, and as you said, death never feels permanent um, in the first, well, for most of the first two parts of the game, because if you die, you just, you just sort of re-upload your data to the bunker and come back. 
Um, and then when the bunker becomes infected and everyone starts going crazy on the bunker, you realize that actually for them, death is permanent. Um, and the game's suddenly very tonally very different. Yeah, I, I feel like it's probably one of the first, it doesn't say it in the game, it's probably one of the first times where 2B's kind of felt, and probably 9S has probably felt actual fear because they've never had to fear themselves dying or or their friends dying because they've always known they'll be re-uploaded. This will be the first time when Batuvi will be running across the city knowing that this is actually the end. You know, after all of this time of them existing, yeah. fighting, killing other things, this is actual permanent death for her. Mm-hmm. And obviously she calls in nines finally. It's like the last thing that she says to him before she's stabbed mm-hmm. by the bridge. Very heartfelt. Indeed. Have you seen all the endings then? Because there's a lot of them. Yeah, I've seen all the endings. I've not managed to do the last ending in person. I've at the hacking section of the the actual final ending. I've always found just too challenging. I've had to um, watch a YouTube video of that, but all the others I've got. Does that include all of the forty five joke endings? Oh God, no! no. <laughs> <laughs> I got one by accident. Yeah, there's a part where you're in the village and there's a robot, uh, well, a giant robot. I can't remember the name, what they're called now. A mecha? No. I'm just picking it up. Um, <laughs> Goliath. Is it one of those? Goliath. Yeah, Goliath class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, attacking the city. And um, the villagers, Pascal's like, oh, no, go and kill it. You, you know what you're doing. You're good with a sword. You're good with a gun. And then you go. And then I don't know what happened, but I took the wrong direction. And the game ended. And it said something on the screen like, Nine S and Two B decided to run away from their duties and go live in the forest, <laughs> which ironically is probably actually the best ending they could possibly get. <laughs> out of all of the actual ones, if only that and was actually how it stopped. The pods were warning me; they were like, "Don't go this way; it's the wrong way." And I thought they were like glitching or something. I'm like, no, shut up! I just I know this is the way. It's back to the fairground. <laughs> yeah, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and then, yeah, black screen went black, and then we've run away to live in the forest forever. I finished Neo. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a couple where, like, I accidentally sent at the very start of 9S's play for I ended up just sending in the complete wrong way. And they were like, 9S's curiosity led him astray and he was never seen again. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> lost. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've seen the final ending. And so have I, I didn't, I also saw it on YouTube. Um, the one where the, the pods get together, is that what you're talking about? That's the very final one. Yeah. 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 So uh, even when I think it's uh, one of the pods is, bringing the idea that they should bring back 9S, 2B, and A2 back. They bring them back to the world. And the other the other pods are saying, no, 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 that's not protocol. We don't do that. And the, the pods sort of pushing for it. And in the end, if you as the player accept the task, then they go ahead and they rebuild all three androids. Yeah, and I thought it was a really nice ending, but so hard to get to actually finish. Because <laughs> if... I think you have to be online to be able to get assistance from other people. But ha- have you seen the hacking section of that ending? Uh, I haven't, no. Uh, so if you actually play that one, in order to get that ending, you this is going to sound bizarre, me describing it without watching it. But essentially, in order to get the ending, there's a hacking section where you fight the credits. You fight the names of the people who produced the game. <laughs> so like the director, the voice actors, they're all coming up and they're firing off like the hacking bullets and you have to defeat them in order to actually beat the game. So it's right. like Yokotaro and all these people's names flashing up as the enemies. And if you fail a number of times, it goes, basically, do you want help? And it says, if you want help, basically, you have to delete all your save data. So you delete all your save data and then other players from around the world who've also deleted their save data to ask for help 
they turn up as like assistants to help you in battle to get through this hacking section. And as they're defeated, you can see all these usernames of other players of near slowly disappear off the screen as you kind of defeat the game as an online collective. And then your username somewhere will be on someone else's playthrough when they defeat the game as a helper for them. But all your save data is completely gone afterwards. But yeah, that's how you actually defeat the final ending. It's just bizarre, but in the best way. So your save data is totally gone, so you can't play the game again from, from the point you were at? No, you'd have to play it completely again from scratch. Oh, wow. Well, I suppose by that, that point, you've that's the final true ending, right? So I guess you don't need it, but <laughs> it seems a bit mean. I like having my save data. It is. Uh, in a way, I kind of it kind of fits in quite nicely with kind of the near situation. Yeah. The near, you kind of sacrifice yours to then kind of help someone else in the world who you don't even know defeat their game so that they can see the ending. It, it all just kind of comes together. But I'm Yeah, and again, it's kind of that life and death re- uh, cycle thing. Recycle, excuse me. Life and death <laughs> cycle thing. Uh, you know, you, you've now deleted your save data. That was your life. And if you want to play again, you're going to start from the beginning. and You'd be reborn and play again. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a really good ending to this game specifically. In most other games, I'd be like, this is bizarre and really out of place. It doesn't fit, but it fits in with this. I mean, the whole ending as well, I think it's one of the bits of Nier that's, I would say, a bit more confusing. With You know, the, you get the whole tower and they say, oh, this tower is going to fire something, it's going to destroy the moon, basically. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's one of the bits of the game that's a bit more unclear exactly what's going on. I mean, you get the, the girls wearing red dresses as it yeah it's for me it was one of the bit more vague parts of the storyline but the um, bizarre bit of the ending is that when you actually finish the final one it says um it was never going to be something to destroy the moon it was an arc containing the memories of machine life forms so that they could go and exist somewhere else other than earth so i was a bit like mm. oh well why did we bother destroying it then like that sounds great like why would we want to stop that and then that made me think like why does it matter if the moon is destroyed, like A2 describes it as, oh, but then all the, the final memories of humanity will be gone. In my head, I was like, why does that matter? They, they're not, they don't exist anymore. Is this still just the androids program to protect them, even though there's nothing really there to protect anymore? Yeah, I think instinctually they they want to protect and bring humans back. I think that's part of their programming. And it's yeah. always going to be an instinct to them to, to do that. Yeah, even though in real life, humanity's, stuff being destroyed shouldn't actually matter anymore. Like, it's redundant now. They've been dead for centuries. By the way, I love how you said, uh, what's the point of saving the moon? Like, are you trying to say you want to blow up the moon? You want to blow up the moon, Charlotte? Was it going to destroy the whole moon or just, like, the humanities data stuff on the moon? I can't really remember. I don't know, but you said you want to blow up the moon, essentially. So uh, the whole moon exploded, that would be a bit of an issue for the nice, like, moose and pigs that still live on Earth. (laughs) The moose and pigs. (laughs) Yes. I don't know how much time is meant to pass, because even 9S says that there's no longer day-night cycles anymore on Earth. So I don't Mm -hmm. know how much time is actually meant to have passed or what the moon's up to. But Did you uh, choose to go uh, as 9S with the tower rocket thing? I said no, personally. I don't think it has huge changes to the ending, but the way I saw it is machines have their own kind of sort of humanity and they're always going to be programmed to fight with androids. And the game says repeatedly that the machines can evolve to a point. They've tried to form governments before. They're trying to form societies, but they're always doomed to repeat their past mistakes because they can't seem to evolve past their original ideas. Mm -hmm. And 
So even though they're always going to be slightly primitive and always repeat their same mistakes, to me, the idea of the machines potentially going to another world with an android, to me, meant they would still be perpetually destined to fight the androids repeatedly. So to me, I wanted them to go to a world where it was just machines. They would have no one to destroy and fight them. Yeah. Like separate them slightly. That was my, that was my thought process. Right. You're right. What did you do? I didn't do any of that because <laughs> I never played that bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I just, uh, I, I probably would have gone. Um, I didn't <laughs> yeah, think yeah, of... what I'm to do. Oh just yeah, I mean, I want to get, well. I want to get off this rock. I want to go somewhere else. <laughs> Got a trip. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about the the battle system? Oh, definitely. Yeah, you found it a bit difficult, didn't you? And you said it made your fingers hurt playing this game. Uh, it did, uh, yeah. And I also still don't fully understand the uh, chip system. Mm. I found that quite complicated because there were times when I felt like I had space to fit in a chip to give me an ability, but he wouldn't insert the chip. For, uh, I still don't know why. Oh, that's strange. Mm. But I really liked the, I know you turned this off, but I really liked the online mode um, where you can resurrect dead players or take their items and chips. Oh, yeah. It's handy for some battles, like I, think, I remember fighting Eve. I think is that is Eve the one you fight in the sit the like copied city? Uh, that's Adam. Adam, um, there were dead players all around me, and I remember um, when Adam was focusing on nine S, I would quickly run over his two B and resurrect one of the players, and they would act as a dummy, like a, a target dummy for Adam. Basically, I mean, he killed him in like three or four strikes, but they'll give me enough time to to get away and heal if I needed to. So I did like that. Yeah, I can see the appeal of that. I think this is my own personal thing of I'm not a big fan of online multiplayer things and I don't like reminders that it's a game. So mm-hmm. I don't like reminders of other users. When I suddenly get a thing up, say like, oh, dog lover 94. And I'm like, ooh, no, <laughs> my game. I just, I don't want to be reminded that there's some other person there playing it. But that's very much just personal preference. It was a bit cringy when you read some of the message because you, I don't know if you ever saw it, but when you die, you can leave a personal message behind. It's like a poet, piece of poetry. Oh, yeah. They'll say like, um, dog lover 94 died in a field full of flowers doing what she loved. And some of them were just <laughs> absurd like, and really pretentious. Yeah, <laughs> um, some of them just made no sense. I was just like, yeah, 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 yeah. You can make it totally nonsensical. Yeah, a bit like um, same in Blood Body could do the same thing. It's not quite as long and po- poetic as um, Nia, but you can make garbled messages that mean nothing. Yeah, it's yeah, very strange system. So I wasn't a big fan of that. So like you said, I turned it off. But the battle system in Nia, actually, I really, really liked. And I'm not normally a big fan of hack and slash stuff, but I at no point in this game did I get bored of fighting. Yeah, um, I, I did like it. Don't get me wrong. I just found it difficult and I found it a lot of button mashing sometimes. When I got onto 2B's, sorry, excuse me, uh, 9S's story in part two, um, the fact that you could hack uh, made it a bit more varied for me. Um, even, though, even though some of the enemies were awful to hack and I couldn't do it. The simpler <laughs> ones, it really damaged them or even killed them outright without you having not done very much. And I, I quite like that. Ah, so you're really different to me there because I pretty much never hacked enemies of 9S unless the story made me because I was terrible at it. I was always hacking. <laughs> uh, I would I would just spend the whole time then just getting damage taken off me because I'd failed. So I was, I'm not doing that anymore. That's enough of hacking. Um, and the, the chip system is um, akin to like materia, I guess. So it gives you abilities 
but it's more complex than that because it also like gives you um like gameplay things on the screen like the mini map is actually a chip yeah you know I mean? and there's like, there's one chip in there that's basically your life and they're like if you remove yeah. this you die but i was like Did you ever do that no i don't let you i don't even know but just odd little things i must say the chip system I agree, it wasn't overly clear at times, but I think it just added another element of interest rather than just running around stabbing things. It it gave you more of that RPG feel to it, being able to manipulate that slightly. Yeah, there were there were some that like there were there was a chip that's like auto heal. Like if you take if you get below forty percent of your health, you get an auto heal. But I never trusted it. <laughs> I would always still heal anyway, or waste potions, whatever they were yeah, called. I, I always just equipped a load of things where. However much damage you did to an enemy, you got like 20% of it back, which was the main way I kept my health up during that game. So I always had like three of those equipped. Yeah, I did that too. And I get there's a um a similar one that's like deflect, like whatever damage you take, the enemy takes 10, 20% of it too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some of them yeah, are quite I, interesting, but then so I, I was surprised that some of them are like the minimap or um I don't know what the others were, like the clock, I guess. But that also reminds you, I mean, I said earlier that the first time you sort of think about um, 2B being an Android is when she starts to fail. But actually, if you look at the chip system, you can see that everything that she has on the screen, that you have on the screen, the HUD, that's all because she's plugged a chip into herself that lets you see that. Yeah, that is a very good point, actually. Mm. And the way that the chips work, I think it will play into a lot of way that some people like to play games because... I don't really mind things like a HP bar and, you know, enemy data being on a screen, but I know there's a lot of people when they play video games, they like it to just be the game. Like they hate seeing all of that on a screen because it makes it feel less real for them. Mm. So I feel like having options in this game where you could just turn all of that off will suit a lot of people really well. Because most games, if it's there, you can't turn that stuff off. It's just there on the whole time. Yeah, I've got thoughts on many maps. Like generally, I think they've made games too easy because you know exactly where to go, but also sometimes you need that. I didn't take out the mini map in Nia, I don't think, even though that's the way I feel. But I like the option that I could do that if I wanted to. Yeah, I think it just adds another element to this game that just shows that they understand how people like to play games. Yeah. Like they, they have a good understanding of what makes games good for different people. Again, very well designed. Yeah. And that and also that gives you more slots to equip exactly what you want it just you know if you take out the mini map you suddenly get another slot to put in something that is more useful to you it's it's a very good system exactly you really can build that game to play pretty much exactly how you want it to play and mm-hmm. if you want to pretty much just fight with pods or just fight with hacking and you hate the melee combat you can just put on a load of hacking chips and a load of pod chips and you can pretty much not fight with your sword anymore you can completely change the way that you have to play that game so it took me a while to get used to the pods, but I was a big... Uh, did you use the pods much? Because at one point I was using them all the time. I loved them. Oh, almost. I pretty much always had my finger just held down on the fire button for pods. So they were yeah. just firing continuously while I was fighting. I'd go to try to play other games after that and I'd still find myself trying to like hold down the pod fire thing. I was like, oh no, that's what <laughs> here. So I was before we move on to musics and the graphics of this game, I just want to quickly touch on just a couple of the specific side quests that I thought really added to this game. I meant to bring them up earlier when we were chatting about the story, but I just forgot. I'd say it was kind of three or four that I felt really added to the overall story, and they're quite easy to miss. They're only in certain playthroughs, I think, and if you're just plowing through the main story, you could just glaze straight past them. Mm-hmm. But one of them, I would say, is the one called Amnesia, which is where you first hear about what an executioner Android is, mm-hmm. where basically 
one of the side missions is you meet an android. She says, oh, my, my friend has been killed. I, I want to know what happened to her. And through hacking, eventually you discover that the android you're talking to is an executioner and she was mm-hmm. tasked with murdering her friend. And it's the first time that in the story it says what that is. And 9S says how he thinks that's horrific. He hates the idea of an execution unit. He doesn't understand why they exist. And 2B is just silent, basically. She doesn't say anything. She just says, sometimes it's better that we just don't know things. Sometimes the unknown is better for us. Yeah. And at the time, you don't think too much of it. You just think, oh, it's another story thing. But obviously, what that actually is, is, is 9S saying to 2B exactly what he thinks of her and her hearing it from him of how horrifying he finds her. Yeah, but he doesn't know what she is at that point, though, right? Oh, no, he doesn't know, but I mean, for her to yeah. hear it, from him, yeah, yeah. It, it means something. But it's just another little thing in that story. That it's, it's easy to miss, but it just builds up that world. And it just it's only when you replay it back and you just notice how quiet 2B is during all of that, of what she's probably thinking during that quest, yeah. seeing another one her lot and what they do mm-hmm. and how Lioness is sickened by it. Were there any other side quests that stood out to you? Because I've got a couple more that did for me. There was one, now you're going to think this, is, this isn't really one that um, is very important, but actually it made me realise that the machines were more capable of independent thought than we previously thought. It's two linked ones and both from the village. So there's one where you go and look for a robot's little sister in the desert. Remember oh, that one? Yeah, yeah. That was- and there's another one which is similar where you, you're leaving the village and you, you hear an argument between uh, a child and its mother robot. And he's saying no get away from me dummy and they're falling out and he runs away and you you bring him back to safety in the village and i i just liked the fact that they were building these family units and they were trying to show you that machines are more than capable of as being as human as an android is basically even though they were adopting behaviors because they weren't really related they just sort of adopted that behavior they wanted to have their own lives too yeah and in a lot of ways, I would say a lot of the machines are actually more human than some of the androids because the mm-hmm. androids, they form friendships. But whenever they kind of start to suggest forming a family or or anything like that, they kind of hold themselves back because, you know, they have a task to accomplish. They're, they're driven. The machines have just yeah. embraced it. They're like, no, that's it. We're a family now. Like, we exactly, don't have an yeah. We don't want to kill the androids. We just want to be together. But if the androids yeah. are still very much, our main focus is killing machines. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I love those little side quests of going when you find the little sister who's actually way bigger than the older sister. <laughs> yeah, she's and massive. <laughs> yeah, and she's just asking loads of like childlike questions. And they're yeah. like, you don't want to explain how babies are made. Thank you. We'll just, <laughs> we'll just keep on walking. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it is one of the much kind of quainter, more more cheerful bits of this game. But it, like you said, it does add so much more humanity to all the machines. You know what, when... Um... The one I talked about with the little boy going missing, running away. You have to bring him back and you fight rogue machines along the way. And he can actually die at that point. Did you ever have him killed by accident? Oh, no, I didn't realize he could die. Oh, oh. yeah. Um, so he was killed in a fight with me. And then nine and two people were like, oh, no, I guess I'm going to go and tell the family. I was like, no, 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 I'm going to reset. <laughs> oh, I'm going to start again. I couldn't do it. I just <laughs> reset so the game and started the whole quest again. <laughs> I'm so glad I would not be able to handle that. Like, I don't even want to picture how upset the mother robot would be. And, like, the cutest thing is, like, that, if I remember rightly, that little boy robot, he had, like, dungarees drawn. He like, did, yeah. machine body. I'm like, oh, it's just, oh, it just touches <laughs> my heart. It's so cute. 
the whole thing of Pascal's village, they're so human. And that's what makes it awful when they're all, they're all cannibalized and they're all destroyed and it's burning. And then obviously Pascal escapes with the children and then they commit, like even the phrase of the children commit suicide out of fear. Like if that was mm. humans, if this was a humans in a game, it would be unshowable. Yeah. But like I see them as humans. Like you spent so much time talking to those children, building them a slide, like getting things for them, and then they impale themselves. It's mm-hmm. it's just barbaric. It is. And then yeah. you're given the option to either kill Pascal, wipe Pascal's memory, or just leave him to deal with what's happened. And I couldn't bring myself to kill him. I, I couldn't bring myself to leave him knowing what happened. So I wiped his memory. And then I was punished for that by going back to the village and he sold me the insides of the dead children. I was like, because he doesn't oh remember what God. they are. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I can't, I can't with this game. I just can't deal with it. But well, I, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> That's quite oh, dark. It's, it's heart-wrenching. But I don't know if you agree with this, but to me, Pascal looks like a much older version of a robot. He looks a lot more jittery. He's got like a kind of jetpack thing built in. He looks like an older model of a robot compared to the new ones it looks like a traditional uh, kind of robot that we'd imagine a robot looking like in a way yeah and <laughs> i could be i could be wrong but at various points of the game it says that robots are destined to repeat their mistakes over and over and i always wondered if this is the first time that pascal's tried to create a village of robots because i i get the impression he's an older one and he's been a pacifist for a while and i wonder if this is the first time that he's made a village or tried to make a society of robots and it's failed and he's destined to just keep repeating the same thing over and over and suffering again, over and over that was my like take on it anyway again that would link back into the whole life and death cycle thing wouldn't it so it would yeah this game is repeating bleak. everything yeah yeah the other storylines that i like little side quest that i thought were quite relevant is there's one called the wandering couple where there's a couple of um androids i think they're resistance members and all your are trying to escape i can't quite remember but they're trying to leave together and you get them lots of equipment, you get the money to try and escape. And eventually it turns out that the woman has been altering and manipulating the man's being to whatever she needs him to be, constantly resetting him to either a battle droid or defensive or whatever she needs. But he's always destined to whatever he's changed into, fall in love with her and try to escape with her and try to help her. Mm-hmm. But I just found that quite dark, the idea that, there's this couple, but she is in complete manipulation of this android by resetting him constantly. And all you've done is, through the game is help her, basically. Yeah. To just destroy this man's current life and reset it with a brand new one. Like He has mm-hmm. no autonomy in that decision. And the other one that I'll quickly mention is, there's two more. There's the Yorha Betrayers, where basically commanders say, or your operators say, there's rogue Yorha units, you need to kill them. And 9S is like, what do you mean you want us to kill your half units, they're us, like that's crazy. And 2B, who you don't know at that point is an executioner, is like, yeah, sure, like just tell me, tell me who to kill and we'll go and do it. And you're told that the reason you're doing it is because they've been stealing from the resistance. And once you've killed them, you ask the resistance and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, no one has been stealing from us. We don't know what you're talking about. And 9S asks the operator, like, why have you sent us to kill them when they haven't done anything wrong? Like, what was the actual reason you've sent us to kill people? And she basically goes, it's confidential, don't ask questions, you need to be careful. Mm. And I think that's the bit of the game where it's closest, again, it's not said for 2B having to kill him, 
because it's the closest it probably comes to him finding out or asking too many questions. And again, mm. 2B's really quiet during that whole interlude, but it suggests that there's more going on in your heart that, you know, than you're actually told they've actively lied to you. 9S asks questions and the operator literally says to him that you need to stop, you need to be careful and hold back. Or basically the undernote is, or 2B will have to murder you. But obviously he doesn't know that at that point. Yeah. You hear that several times at several points when you question whether the um, the command of your heart are telling you the truth or not. Yeah. And it's always quite subtle. Like it never really drills at home, but yeah, lots of little notes mm. that you can't be trusted there's something else going on. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I always kind of got the feeling quite early on that humanity didn't exist anymore. I always had a feeling that that might be something that came up. Yeah, because I, I always thought that if they did exist, then they would be talking to these androids, at least to the commander. And you never really hear anything apart from those uh, video transmissions, which are just very generic, sort of peppy messages from, from humans and are a bit like um, propaganda in a way. You never actually hear them directly talk. Yeah, very propagandaish. The only thing, I didn't expect your heart to know that they weren't real. I thought all the androids thought yeah, that they yeah. were alive. I didn't expect your heart to be in on it and be mm -hmm. perpetuating it. The only other side quest I'm going to mention, I mean, I'd love to talk about all of them because they're all great, but there's one where you get told that some confidential, I think it's chips have been stolen and you meet a man and basically he's like, oh, I've heard about these chips. Yeah, sure. And later what it turns out is he's stolen the chips and he's also stolen a broken scanner unit who looks like a little boy like 2B does. And his plan is he's stolen him in order to try to create his own family so he's stolen a Yorha unit who looks like a child so that he can be with his family. And this broken scanner unit just says, please to you, suggesting that he's not happy that he's been stolen, basically, mm -hmm. to be brought up as a child as this guy's family. And when you check the records later, it just says, like, oh, they were both killed by machines. But don't worry, Yorha recovered the chips. And it was like, Yorha killed them, didn't they? Like, Yorha <laughs> came and murdered them. It's the undertone to that. And it's just yeah. another little thing that's like, Yorha can't be trusted, but the game at that point isn't coming out right to say it but they've murdered that scanner and the man who kidnapped them to try and keep it all quiet and get back their stuff basically yeah yeah right should we move on to having a quick chat about the music of this game and the graphics uh yeah so um i think the music is one of the strongest parts of the game i think it's it's haunting it's beautiful especially like the uh fairground music what what's your favorite piece I think it's a combination of, I agree, either the fairground music or the general city ruins music, like the really mm -hmm. peaceful version that plays as you kind of wander around and glide about. When you first start, um, Pascal's Village is cute too. Oh yeah, and it's got like the little children kind of singing in the background. Mm -hmm. There's so many pieces where I wouldn't really be able to specifically name them now, but whenever I play this game, there's never a section where I don't like the music that's playing. Mm -hmm. It's always beautiful, it always suits it. And the fact that in her, like hacking sections, there's a hacking version of that music. I, I yeah. yeah, I don't know how they've managed to create so many good songs. Like a lot of games, you'll get a soundtrack and there'll be like three or four great ones that you would listen to. And the rest are just kind of really backgroundy. I, like I could happily put on the OST to this and just let it play all the way through. And there'll be very few songs that I didn't like. Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. In terms of graphics... I, I like them and I think it's beautiful, but there are some parts I do not like about this game. Oh, like um, I don't like how the cutscenes have like two bars on them, you know, like at the top and the bottom. Mm. It's a weird design choice to me. I thought my game was glitching. I tried to turn these settings off and it, it just happens to be that way. 
I resent you for this because I hadn't noticed until you pointed it out to me. And now I <laughs> notice it all the time. <laughs> it's really so, annoying. It is annoying now. <laughs> when I first played, I didn't see it. It was fine. <laughs> and I like the, the bunker, you know, it's like um a it's like a circle that you're running around in and the corridor. Yeah, that it's odd. I like the aesthetic of the bunker. It's all kind of black and grey and oddly yeah. silent, but yeah, a little bit of a strange design. Mixes yeah, up. I, I really liked that. And the character design in this game is really good too, although I'm still not sure why they wear blindfold. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think it looks good, but it makes no sense. I don't no. get why it's there. They take them off I'm, all the time as well. Well, not all the time, but now and again they do, and they do have eyes, so... Yeah, and not everyone wears them. Like, the commander doesn't wear a blindfold. The operators, no. I don't think all of them do. It's, yeah, not quite sure why. I mean, the designs of the characters, I have, I've got slightly mixed feelings about it. I think they all look really good, and I like this kind of general, slightly gothic kind of theme to what they all wear. I think 2B is really overly sexualized. Um, and it seems to be a bit of a theme in Nier games that the, the main women do seem to be like. The main woman in the original Nier basically just wears lingerie as she runs around. And personally, I'm not a big fan of female characters being portrayed that way. But she still looks good. It's a good design. It's just my personal preference of I don't massively like overly sexualized female characters. I don't think it's required or needed. Mm-hmm. And it's actually one of the things that put me off playing this game when that's all I'd seen was images of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. The, it's like a gothic Lolita black dress and the, the blindfold, but it, it is very sexualized. And at some points you can see her underwear as well. Yeah, and then like thigh high, like leathery kind of stocking things that she wears. Yeah. And A2 is basically just like torn apart clothes that cover yeah. tiny bits of her. And I'm like, oh, okay, fair enough. That's yeah. how battle uniform is it all right. I mean, I think it looks very cool. It's just it's just very overtly sexual though, isn't it? That's the problem. Like on paper, like I do think it looks really cool. And like when I see that design, I can't help but like it. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I just just not quite my cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it appeals wrongly to make a certain type of audience play this game and I considering how deep and philosophical this game is it, it just doesn't seem to fit in with the way they're portraying the characters mm-hmm. but, I got but used yeah. to it quite quickly though like when I first started it was quite jarring what she was wearing but I just got used to it very quickly it was fine towards the end I suppose yeah I but, think the fact that no one ever treats the characters as sexual objects like it's never even mentioned in the game like no one ever is kind of none of the other characters are ever flirtatious with her no there's no scenes of anything romantic yeah, I think that's what saves it slightly. Like, there's yeah. never a bit of a game where, like, a like a male resistance member is like, "Oh, you're so attractive." Like, that's all left out. So, if that did yeah. only her appearance, I think just about makes it okay for me. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone treats her as a respected soldier. So, and she is a respected soldier. Like, she she's very much all business. Uh, she's very serious and sensible and committed to the mission. Oh yeah, which well, is strange. Where she's basically wearing like a kind of latex <laughs> maid outfit, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> There was a crossover event in Final Fantasy uh, 14, as you know, and that's my first experience with Nier. So I hadn't played Nier at this point, but I was doing these raids of Final Fantasy 14 where you're fighting these Goliath classes as, as a group of people, like, a, like a, I think it was like a 25-man raid, 25 different players, and they would drop uh, items uh, that you could wear, and uh, they're called glamours, so they're like cosmetic pieces that you can make your actual armor look like. So you can like have you can wear your armor, but it can look like something else. 
So there were people in there trying to get the full set of near clothes because one thing I dropped drop at a time i remember i got the dress and i got the blindfold um and i didn't know what they were like i hadn't played near i didn't have a female character i had a male one uh, i don't think i could wear the dress i don't think it let me but uh, i think i actually did but I, I didn't want to wear it um but i wore the blindfold uh, i was a white mage so i dyed the blindfolds white i was like look at me i'm a, I'm a white mage and for some reason i've got a white blindfold on <laughs> very odd but yeah that yeah. was that was yeah. Anyway, a bit off topic. <laughs> I just uh, wanted to say the the clothing is well received, but it is a very odd de- uh, design choice. Yeah, it's very stylistic, and the blindfolds make no sense, but it, it, it does look <laughs> cool. Like, I can't I can't deny that it, it does look good. I like how we take the blindfolds off but when um, their eyes are blue, like they haven't seen the light for twenty years. Like their eyes are like yeah. red and around the skin's like red around them, and like they hadn't been exposed to daylight for a long time. Yeah, and I don't think it's I think it's just assumed that they could just see through them. But yeah, yeah, I'm not going to question that too much. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It does look good. So I know we kind of touched on negatives of this game, and I have personally, I have very few to say. The only things I have is I'm not a big fan of the map in certain locations. I can find it more confusing than useful. To me, the second playthrough can drag a little bit in certain sections. I see why it's necessary and looking back, I think it is good for the how it builds the story. But at the time, it, it felt tedious. And yeah, hacking for me was hard. But by the sounds of it, you quite liked it. So maybe I'm just an idiot. I don't know. I, I liked it. But I, as I said, uh, the difficult ones I just couldn't do. And the way you described the ending one, that sounds like a horrendous torture. So yeah, <laughs> Um, my negatives are the difficulty. Um, it starts out quite easy, but then um, there is a big spike in the third chapter. My God, um, I don't know if that continues through the third chapter, but yeah, I thought that was that came, came out of nowhere, really. And I, I found the weapons and chip system a little bit confusing. You know, when you can unlock stories and the weapons as it goes along, I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. Like, and we, we touched on chips earlier, but honestly, I've got very few negatives. I think it's a fantastic game. Yeah, I agree. I think it's been made with so much love. Mm-hmm. It's been pieced together in a way that I think most other games can't. It's not like one big set piece to battling to another big set piece. It's story building through every element of this game, from the world to the enemies, to the people you talk to, through weapon descriptions, through repeated travelling. It's, yeah, I think it's genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. So should we go on to scores? What are we going to score it out of? I was thinking to go blindfolds, but what are your thoughts? <laughs> okay, yeah. How many blindfolds out of ten do you give this game? I would give this a nine and a half, personally. Ooh, why not yeah. ten? I think the only things that put me off slightly is the slight design of the female characters, the fact that the second playthrough, often when I repeatedly play near, that's when I end up stop playing it on my repeat yeah. play because I can't bother to get through it all again. And I'd like for there to be a little bit more dialogue between, like, playful dialogue between 2B and 9S once they start to warm up to each other, even though that's very much just a personal preference of me just desperately wanting more of this game. So it's very few negatives, but they're the only things that stop me saying this is absolutely perfect. Yeah, I, I would give it a solid nine. Um, I, like I said, I, I, I agree with you about having to play through. I find the playthroughs really tedious. The, there are other games with that mechanics also used, like Breath of Fire 5, and I find it so tedious to start again from the beginning when you've literally just completed it. But yeah, it's like I said, it's a, such a 
a well thought out, well executed, brilliant philosophical and emotional game, and there are very few faults. So yeah, I think nine blindfolds out of ten is is my score. Well, I'm glad you played it. I've been wanting to talk about it to you for ages. I'm glad you maybe play it because, like I said, my experience with it prior to this was Final Fantasy fourteen, and everyone was like, "Oh, look at like wearing the dress, oh, look at me, I'm two B." I'm like, "Um, yeah." I like I had no <laughs> idea what they were talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, like yeah, you are. And these items are dropping, like, and I'd, I'd get like two um, B sword, and my friends would be like, "Oh my god, you got two B sword!" I'm like, "Uh, yeah. Do you, do you want it?" Like, I didn't know what it meant. Like, <laughs> this means nothing to me. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad you got me to play it. And if it's going to be a sequel, has it been confirmed? I personally, I don't think there'll be a sequel to Automata. I reckon there'll be another near game, or at least I hope there will be that has links to this world and the story of Automata. But personally, I don't think it will be like a direct lead on with the same characters. Right. So you think it'll be set like either after or before this game? Yeah, something like that. Like Yokotaro, the guy who makes his games, he's he's a very elaborate man who has very set visions of what he wants his games to be like. And he said before he doesn't like his games to be repetitive. He doesn't like to just basically make the same game again. He wants them to be different. He wants them to be interesting. So I think there probably will be another near game, but it will probably be similar to how the original near linked to this one, where there'll be elements from previous, but it won't be like a, and here's what to be and Ninus are up to now. Yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't want it to be that. I think their story is done and told. Yeah. Yeah. It would cheapen it to be a, a bad sequel, wouldn't it? I think. Yeah. I'm quite happy with the final ending being that the pods put them back together. And even the pods say, there's a good chance that all that's going to happen is they're going to die again and this is the, the same mistakes are going to occur and it's all going to end in misery again. But they're like, but at least this way they're alive and they have some kind of hope for creating yeah. a different future for themselves. And I'm happy with it just being left at, you don't really know if it goes good or bad, but at least there's there's a hope for them. And I'm happy yeah. for it to just be that. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Oh, well, that was probably our, our longest discussion yet, I think. Um, I'm sorry, I had, yeah, I had lots uh, to say about that. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it warranted it. Like it's such a it's such a, a deep game as we've said a, a thousand times in this podcast so far. But yeah. Um, so, what are we talking about next? Do you have the list of hand? Because I don't. <laughs> is I it Grandia? I think it's Grandia next. Yeah. Okay. Well, Grandia is you know it's not quite as deep a game, <laughs> but there is a lot to unpack in that one too. Excuse me, Steve, like the philosophical elements of Sue and Puffy are off the charts. comparison. <laughs> I think Randy is a very emotional game too. Not Nothing like Nia, but uh, we'll there's get no to like that when ex- we talk. There's no kind of existential crisis really occurring in Grandia massively. The themes mm. of life and death definitely, I wouldn't say, are the strongest elements. Yeah, and, you know, the ship swabbing deck thing that's a big theme in the game too <laughs> it's not quite as in-depth but we'll talk about that we're basically going from one of the world's bleakest games to one of the most light-hearted things to ever be made <laughs> oh it has its moments of depression but yeah, yeah. they're not <laughs> like me when <laughs> you straight back to earthquakes are scary and you're like oh we're back okay good oh i must have miscalculated <laughs> I, I still think it. about that all the time, by the way, that line. I don't know why. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? It's it's uh, Saki from Nanasaki Mio. Yeah. 
I mean, don't get wrong, it doesn't play on my mind on a daily basis. But yeah, I know what you mean. When you defeat her, she's like, oh, I must have miscalculated. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) I don't know why I always think about that. I don't either, but I appreciate knowing that you do. I won't say anymore because I've got a lot to say about that fight. But um, yeah, so thank you for listening to uh, Myth and Magic. Please consider giving us uh, a follow on Twitter at Myth and Magic. And if you have the time, the inclination and the ability to do so, please do leave us a review because we'd love to see them. Yeah, thanks very much for listening to the world's longest podcast on near. Thank you. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.